Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If this podcast has encouraged you in any way, we'd like to ask you to leave a review for Truth Wars on whichever platform you listen on. Now, here's Olin. Almost everything I'm going to say tonight, I'm going to do my best to be done by 7, 7.05 of the latest, so we can go out. Uh, and I have another meeting I have to go to. And almost everything I'm going to say, I've got on a handout that I'm going to give you. So you can take notes if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to, uh, because almost all this I'm going to give you in a handout. But I really just wanted you to listen and receive. And tonight's going to be different, maybe from the typical way that I tend to teach. Well, I'm not necessarily going to go through one passage of Scripture and exposit it. But Eric asked me to share on just practical ways, practical steps, practical things you can do to try to share the gospel more often. Okay, to try to talk to non-Christians about how they can have saving faith in Christ. So if I had to give just one principle that all this falls under, it would be the second greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others the golden rule as you'd have them do unto you. So imagine if you were dead in your sins and yet somehow you still had enough uh, truth to know, I'm dead in my sins and I don't understand how to get saved, but those Christians do. What would be the most loving thing that somebody could do? It would be to tell you how to come to Christ. Now, there are better ways and worse ways to share the gospel. Uh, we'll maybe give you some examples of that tonight. Uh, but evangelism is a little bit like Mexican food. And this is what I mean. I've never had bad Mexican food. I've had better Mexican food and I've had worse Mexican food. But I like all Mexican food. And here's my point. All evangelism is good. There are better ways and worse ways to do it. But if you're out here sharing your faith, more power to you. Make sense? Let me, let me tell you a story. And I, and I think this is actually a true story. A young man who had come to Christ in the very early days of campus outreach, uh, grown up in this area, was one of the original staff guys. And years later, he moved to a different church in Georgia. His name is Mike Hare, and He's actually a pastor of First Pres Augusta now. This is decades ago. And uh, he was talking to one of the elders at the church. And the elder, I think, was, and I think in a loving, gentle way, kind of criticizing him for one of the ways that he had shared the gospel. Maybe he had used a verse out of context or something like that. And Mike, uh, I hope it was a humble, genuine question, asked the man, well, how do you share the gospel? And the elder was humble and honest enough to say, you know, to be honest, I don't really share the gospel. And Mike had a wonderful response. He said, well, I sure do like the way I do share the gospel better than the way you don't share the gospel. And so the point is, even if you hear something, you're like, I can't do that, or that's too much, or I don't like that, fine. As long as you're actively sharing the gospel, that's a good thing. But, but we do want to be as best as we can be. So uh, point one would be this. If you've never done this, and some of these things are going to be so basic, you're like, already done that. Okay, but maybe it's a refresher. Write out your testimony um, and make sure that in sharing the story of your testimony that you give the basic propositional truth of the gospel. Does that make sense? It's amazing to me how many times I've heard people share a testimony of coming to Christ, but if that's all you had, you wouldn't understand enough about the gospel to put your faith in Christ. So let me just give you, here I'm going to do like a two-minute version. This is probably the most typical way that I share the gospel with somebody the first time, and I do it in my story. I mean, y'all have probably heard how this new generation, they like story, they want more narrative. Great. Just put propositional truth into a story. So I'll tell people, I grew up in southeast Georgia, uh, and I have a very vague memory. Uh, when I was seven or eight years old, my dad, he was a godly businessman, uh, but he was very serious about his faith. And he used this little thing called a track. You've probably never heard of a track, but it was basically like a Baptist uh, comic book that tried to teach you biblical truth. And it had a picture in there uh, of almost like the Grand Canyon. 
And on one side, there was this little stick figure that represented mankind. And on the other side, there was a circle that represented God. And the whole point of the Grand Canyon was man was so sinful that there was nothing he could ever do. He could never be good enough, work hard enough to have a right relationship with God because we all sinned. But then he drew the cross or it was in the little track on the next page. That's why Jesus, God became a man, lived the perfect life that we're supposed to live but we can't live, died the death on the cross for the wrath of God that we deserve, and then he rose again. And if we put our faith in Christ, if we trust in him genuinely, we will be saved and forgiven. I didn't time myself there, but that's not very long. You see how I kind of did it in a story version? And I could keep going. But learn how to share the gospel as a part of your personal story. It's a very helpful way to do it. It's a very disarming way to do it, right? Rather than just saying, I'm from Broadwood Presbyterian, and I'm here to tell you how I'm right and you're wrong and you're going to hell. It's like, that's probably going to turn some people off. And probably none of us actually start that way. But sometimes our demeanor might give off that smell. And it's much better if we can just say, let me just tell you my personal story. Let me just tell you how Christ changed my life. Okay. The second thing would be prayer. Just pray about this. If you're like, I've been coming to these classes, but I'm still terrified. I went out last Wednesday night, but I never opened my mouth. I just listened. Okay, I get it. Been there, done that. Okay. Just pray a lot. What should you pray for? Pray that you would have more of a heart for lost people. Pray that you would care more. Pray that you would be more bold. Pray that you would be more filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can make a good argument from the book of Acts especially that one of, if not the main clear signs of true fullness of the Holy Spirit is boldness and evangelism. Pray that God would fill you full of the Holy Spirit. Pray for opportunities. Pray for God to make it easy for you. Pray for God. God, would you give me one of those easy opportunities where somebody like would just come up to me and say, what must I do to be saved? God might say no, but he might say yes. Pray for easy opportunities. God, give me wisdom what to say. Bring verses to my mind that I've never even memorized. Make me more bold. Make me more confident. Make me more loving. Make me more wisdom. Listen, know yourself wherever you struggle. Pray against those specific things. Okay. Listen, I can't tell you how many times in the middle of gospel conversations, this ever happened to you? And Eric's right. I do share the gospel a fair amount over my whole life. And I still sometimes get in conversations where I'm like, I have no idea where to go next. And a lot of times I'm just in the back of my head, I'm saying, oh God, give me wisdom, give me insight, give me a question. Help this person say something that spurs me on in the conversation. But just bathe the whole evangelistic process in prayer. Let me give you something really specific. Try to think of the top 10 people in your life that you know that you have some sort of relationship with, whether it's a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. That as best you can tell, you're not God, you can't see their heart, but as best you can tell, they're not a Christian. And here's a, here's a challenge for you. Commit, at least for the rest of this month, you know, the rest of this evangelism crap class, to pray for those people every day. What if you did? Just pray for those ten people by name. God have mercy on Joe. God have mercy on Ben. And you started praying for them. Who knows what the Lord might do? And what I've noticed is when I do that with people, it's not just maybe that the Holy Spirit starts moving in their heart. God starts moving in my heart and making me care more. I start to get more tenderhearted and compassionate. I've got a, a neighbor who's a Hindu from, you know, India. And, and he's one of the guys on my top ten prayer list. And there have been days where maybe I'm out for a walk and it's been a long day. And I'm tired and I can't wait to get home and eat dinner. And I'm exhausted. But I've actually just been praying for the man. 
And then I see him coming down the driveway to get his mail. And everything in my flesh is saying, I do not want to have a conversation with this guy right now. But then I'm like, I'm a hypocrite. I was just praying for him. I have to talk to him. It's good for our heart. So, bathe everything in prayer. The next thing I would say, if you have any kind of accountability partner or mentor in life, get that person to hold you accountable. And, and listen, you can make up the goals. You can say, would you please ask me if I shared my testimony with at least one person between now and the next time we see each other seven days from now. And listen, get an accountability car- partner that's a borderline jerk, right? A little bit belligerent. That doesn't err on the side. Jim Intrigan said he'll be your accountability partner, okay? That doesn't err on the side of being too nice and soft, but leans in a little bit. Does that make sense? In this area, that's what you want, okay? The fourth thing I'd say is look for opportunities. Just look for opportunities, pray for opportunities to share the gospel people. And I think there's three main areas, okay? Where you live, your neighborhood, where you work, and then where you play. And what I mean by that is just what's your hobby? If that's a hunting club, if that's a gym, whatever, where you spend your free time. And if you're like, I got a bunch of little kids, that means I don't have free time, okay? Where do your kids play? Some of the best gospel conversations I've ever had that aren't connected to campus outreach have been with parents of my son's friends when they're on a soccer team or something like that. You just stand in there at practice or the game, great opportunity to share the gospel, okay? Um, fifth thing, and let me, I want to explain what I mean by this. What, what you're going to go do tonight, you know, typically it's called cold turkey evangelism. It means you're going to go out and try to meet probably a stranger and talk to them about Christ. Please hear me. Please hear me. Please hear me. I'm for this. We do this in campus outreach. I grew up on this. I'm still a fan of this. This is typically not the best way to share the gospel. It's not a bad way. Remember what I said? It's a good way. It's just not the best. But here's what I'd say, and I'm going to explain what I mean in just a minute. Use cold turkey opportunities. Yes, primarily to love that person, to share the gospel with them, to lead them in Christ. But secondarily, use it almost like practice. Now please hear my heart in that. I'm not saying you treat those people like guinea pigs. But here's the reality. In the last 10 days, I've probably shared the gospel with two different people that haven't been students on the campus. One of them was a guy that I know a little bit, not super well, but I, and, and he works at the gym that I go to. It's highly likely that I'm going to run into that guy again and have repeat opportunities to talk to him about Christ, to give him books, to invite him to events, right? The other conversation I had was on a plane from Atlanta to Birmingham with a guy from Las Vegas. Highly likely I'll never see that guy again in this life, right? Now, I need to love both of them, share the gospel for both of them. But part of what's good about the cold turkey is it's almost practice because sometimes you will get into conversations that you can't believe. I mean, that happened to me. Some of the things this guy said, I'm like, I've never heard this argument before. But it's making me think. I'm like, I need to go research more, so I'll be prepared if I ever do come up with that. Okay, so use the cold turkey evangelisms to love those people, but also as practice and training for yourself. It is the best way to train yourself and others. The sixth point. I'm going to explain what I mean by this, and I got this from Randy Pope, and it has been really life-changing for me. You know, Randy Pope used to be the senior pastor of Perimeter Perez in Atlanta. He said, take a step towards people in the conversation, towards spiritual things, and if they, in response, take a step towards you, take another step and just see how far it goes. But if they take a step back, you take a step back and don't try to force it down their throats. Now, that's somebody that really believes in the sovereignty of God. 
And listen, it's freeing and it's empowering. Let, let me explain what he meant. He said, imagine if you were at a party and the music's loud. And maybe I've embellished his illustration a little bit to try to make it better. Okay? But you're at a party and the music is loud. And you see somebody that you want to have a conversation with. And so you kind of walk over to them and say, hey, my name's Olin. And they're kind of like, hey, good to meet you. They're backing away. I mean, with their body language, they're saying to you, I don't want to talk to you. And if you have any social awareness, you'll just let them go. Right? But if the music's loud and you kind of step close to the person, hey, my name's Olin, good to meet you. And they kind of step close to you and say, my name's Larry, good to meet you too. Well, it seems they do want to engage in conversation. Does that make sense? So apply that same illustration metaphorically in any type of gospel conversation. And, and here's what I mean. I, when I first got involved in Camp Sarah, it's not Camp Sarah's fault, it's my fault. I felt this overwhelming burden that if I was ever on an airplane, I had to share the gospel with the person sitting next to me. If I didn't, it was basically like I was a traitor to the faith. Right? And so then you'd be like, uh, hey, where are you going? And, you know, and the people are doing everything they can to tell you they don't want to talk. They've got their earplugs in and they've got the newspaper like this. But I'm like, I'd really like to share something with you. And those conversations almost never go well. But once I heard Randy Pope teach that, it became so freeing because I might just say to someone, like, hey, how you doing? And they're like, fine. I'm like, great. I was tired anyway. I'm about to take a nap. God must not be working on this guy's heart. But if they turn and they're warm and engaging, I just keep going. And guys, I can't tell you how many times just by starting asking very basic questions, not being aggressive, just taking the next baby step, I have got... Literally, I remember a flight one time. It's burned in my memory from L.A. to Atlanta, and I'd just come from Australia, and I was exhausted. It was one of those times I was like, God, please let me just have a seat by myself so I can sleep. I sit next to this girl, and uh, I kind of asked her. She was reading a book. I said, what are you reading? And she said, what? And, I, and inwardly, I was thinking, praise God. She doesn't want to talk. I'm going to have a nap. I just said, I just said what you're reading. And then she said, oh. And she became very engaging. And I, what's that, a four-hour flight maybe from L.A. to Atlanta or Birmingham or whatever? By the time we landed, she's weeping, telling me about how her mom tried to have her aborted. And that's obviously done all sorts of things to her life. Never met me before. She said she'd never told anybody before. Because I just started with very basic questions. Listen, most people today probably have a thousand friends on Facebook, and they don't have any real friends. And so if you'll just show some genuine warmth and caring, not always, but it's amazing how people will blossom and open up. They're dying for real conversation and real fellowship. So just take those baby steps towards people. Okay, now, seventh point. Okay, ask compelling questions. And, and we could spend all night doing this. But let me just give you one example that I'll ask people sometimes. Like, ah, I don't know if I believe. I said, you know what? If I could prove Christianity to you, if even Jesus maybe just showed up on this airplane and he could prove Christianity to you 100%, would you follow him then? Now, you think the obvious answer is yes, but I can't tell you how many people said nope. Well, why not? Because I like having sex with my girlfriend too much. Okay. Well, then let's talk about that, right? Because your whole, I'm not sure the Bible is true, that ain't the real issue, is it? Makes sense? So learn to ask questions. So much of good evangelism is good question asking, all right? Um, Eight, if you ever get stuck, and you will get stuck, or at least I do, right? If you ever sometimes get in the middle of a conversation, you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to say next. Just remember this. 
The real uniqueness of Christianity is the Lord Jesus Christ and salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And just keep running back to that. I have run into people that ask me hard questions. I'm like, that's a great question. I don't have an answer for that. But if I ever get there, what I do is I just say this. You know, historically speaking, almost certainly, virtually everybody would agree, there was a historical man that lived roughly 2,000 years ago named Jesus Christ. Supposedly he was a miracle worker, some kind of great prophet or teacher that was executed by the Roman government and then they couldn't find the body. And supposedly he's either the greatest teacher of all time, one of the greatest, most influential leaders, or maybe he's really the son of God. What do you personally say about Christ? You really can't be an educated person on planet Earth, certainly not in the Western Hemisphere, and not have an educated opinion of Christ. Have you ever read the eyewitness documents for yourself? I don't believe the Bible is true. Okay, just, just read it like a history book. At least give it that kind of credence. Because there's something unique about this Savior that says He died for us so I don't have to be saved by works, which any other world religion, right, Catholicism, Islam, whatever, it's something about your works and Christianity is different. And keep going back to the beauty of the uniqueness of Christ and His grace. Okay. Nine, another great question, and, uh, you know, and I feel like Jesus did this a lot, is you want to try to figure out what's their main obstacle. And listen, almost always, it, in my experience, it is not some intellectual academic thing. What about the dinosaurs and evolution? That's almost never the real issue. When Jesus talked to the woman at the well in John 4, he talked to her about her romantic relationships because that was the main issue in her life idol where she was seeking satisfaction when Jesus talked to the rich young ruler he talked to him about his money because that was his functional savior in God he never talked to the rich young ruler about women he never talked to the woman at the well about money now Jesus has this whole omniscience thing going on that we don't right but I just I just I tell that little brief story like I just did and then I just ask people if Jesus was sitting here in this coffee shop with you right now what would he ask you about and sometimes the response I get is like, well, I don't know. And I'll say, take your best guess. <laughs> and they'll say, well, I don't know. It's probably lots of little things. And depending on how well I know the person, I just start shaking my head and say, in my experience, it's never lots of little things. And I literally, I just had this conversation with somebody a couple months ago. And he kind of hung his head and then he looked back up and he said, there is one thing but I'm not talking to you about it. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But you better be talking to somebody about it. Go after the heart. What's their functional God? What's their functional Savior? What's their main idol that's holding them back from genuine faith in Christ? Okay. Um, Ten, this is another Randy Popeism. Randy Pope's got some great stuff on evangelism. Stab them as much as you can in love with the Word of God. Right? Hebrews tells us the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So what if you're meeting with someone and they're like, I don't even believe the Bible is true. That doesn't matter. Randy Pope gives this great story. Okay? It's kind of weird, but it'll stick with you. Imagine if a robber broke into your house in the middle of the night. And he's like, I got a weapon. You know, Put your hands up. You know, and then you turned around and you saw the robber had this really big knife. And you just started laughing at the robber. And the robber's like, why are you laughing at me? And you're like, I don't believe in knives. 
I thought you had a gun. I'm terrified of guns. Knives? I don't believe in knives. Now, if the robber is an effective robber, what's he going to do? He's going to stab you anyway. Your belief in the knife has no power over the effectiveness of the knife. Does that make sense? God is not bound by some non-Christians trusting His Word or not. It can still be spiritual dynamite in their life to change them. So just say, listen, would you just read through the Gospel of John with me? Let's read a chapter or two a week and meet and talk about it. Um, Russell Long, some of you all know him. He goes to church here. Uh, his wife works at the church. He was on staff with Camp Sarich in Brazil for many years. And I remember he was having a Bible study in Brazil uh, with some students on the campus. And one of them was very passionate about, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in any of this. But I like the Bible because I think it's beautiful. I think it's very interesting. He's like, so I want you to have the Bible study at my house. I'll come. I'll host it. But I just want you to know I don't believe it. So they were doing that. I think they were going through the Gospel of John. And this went on for weeks, maybe even months. And he said one day he got there for the Bible study. Everybody was getting there. And the host that had been belligerent about, I don't believe any of this, he just started walking out and just said, it's true. It's all true. And he'd been converted. Why? Because he'd just been soaking in Scripture for months. Right? And the Gospel is the power unto salvation. So stab them with the Word as many times as you can. Okay? Um, Eleven. Try and have multiple conversations, right? You don't have to say everything in the first conversation. If you study the evangelism of Jesus, look at his interaction with the rich young ruler. It's very interesting. Mark, uh, I think it's Mark 10, uh, Matthew 19, Luke 18. I mean, Jesus is like, hey, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Just obey the commandments. I'm already doing that. Well, sell everything you have, give it to the poor. And the guy goes away sad. And Jesus didn't chase him down and say, wait a second, I forgot a piece. Jesus shared enough truth with him to almost put like a rock in his shoe. You know, there's some good Christian historians that think that man later came to Christ. We don't know for sure. But you don't have to feel like you've got to download all the systematic theology that you've read in the past 40 years in one gospel conversation. In fact, that probably won't go well. What will be better is to figure out where are they and just try to move them one step, right? If the whole process of salvation from being a so-called atheist is point A, and true conversion is point Z, and when you meet somebody, they're at point D, and that conversation, you move them to point E, that's a win. And say, hey, can I give you some... This is, this is one of the main things I do in evangelism now. I meet with somebody, I share the gospel with somebody, I try to get their number, and I say... If I text you some stuff to read, or, or, or they're like, well, I don't like to read. If I text you some podcast links. But usually what I use, let me, I'm just going to send you a few verses. And if most of the conversation was about grace and how they don't really get grace, I'm going to send them verses about grace. If most of the conversation is about surrendering the worship of Christ, they really didn't get that, I'm going to send them verses about it. I'm, like, I'm going to send you these verses. Will you read them? And let's get together again next week. The more conversations you can have repeatedly on the gospel, the better. Most people don't get saved in the first conversation. Twelve, use the church. Use Bible studies. Listen, one of the best things you can do, if you can get them to do this, come to church with me. Go to this men's Bible study with me. Now, if they won't go, they won't go. But here's the good thing. If they do go, you're just putting the ball on the tee for yourself. Because then when you leave, you just get in the car and you say, what did you think about what that guy said? Did you like it? Did you dislike it? What stood out? What did you disagree with? It just makes it easy, right? Somebody else can be the bad guy. 
It's like a good cop, bad cop. You get to be the good cop. So bring them to a good Bible study or church. Um, 13, and we're nearing the end here. In all my experience, again, I, I think the first time that I actively remember trying to share the gospel with somebody was in high school when I really started walking with Christ. So we're talking about 30 years worth of evangelism up and down. And I can honestly say, anytime I've tried to share the gospel with somebody, I've never regretted it later. Never, not once. I have regretted sometimes what I said the way I did it. Like I wish I would have done it. But the fact, you share the gospel, you didn't share. I've never walked away saying, dang it, I should have just kept my mouth shut. Not once. But there have been countless times I haven't shared the gospel. And I walked away later and said, I was a coward. No good reason that I shouldn't have brought Christ in that conversation. Okay. So, the last point uh, will be this. Okay. There really are no legitimate excuses to not share the gospel if you're a Christian. Matt Stiles, who's a Baptist church planner in Iraq, right? So if we think we got it bad, our life is a fairy tale. He said, most Christians around the world, when they think about sharing the gospel, you know what they fear? They fear the raised fist. They might literally suffer physical pain. You know what we in the West tend to fear? The raised eyebrow. Somebody might look at it as funny. Okay. Just think about this briefly. Um, the demoniac. Remember that guy? Mark chapter 5. Filled with a legion of demons running around naked in the tombstones. He gets saved. Hey Jesus, can I join your D group? No. Just go home and tell everybody what the Lord's done for you. How much Bible knowledge does he have? Almost none. Andrew. Meets Jesus, first thing he does, goes and gets Peter. Philip, first thing he does, goes and tells Nathaniel. The woman at the well, I don't even think she was fully converted yet. She went back and told the whole village. The man in John 9, you know, he's my favorite. I don't even know who the guy is. I mean, this, think about how terrible the testimony this is. I don't know who he is. I can't even tell you his name. I do know this. I once was blind in LC. Even something as basic as that can move people towards this Savior. Okay. And what I see in my own heart sometimes is I'm just not sacrificial enough with my time to put the time into a conversation. And I close with this. I'm so glad Jesus is not like me. That he was sitting on a throne in heaven and he said, I'm willing to sacrifice to go get that sinner. And I want to, for myself and for all of us, to grow more in his sacrificial love so we'll start doing the same thing for others. Let me pray. Lord, bless us tonight and for the rest of our lives as we try to faithfully share the gospel. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. If you have any questions for Olin, please email him at olin.stubbs at campusoutreach.org.